We're preaching on corporate worship today. And I'm harking to the time when uh, I had a weird experience for me as I was in transition. I found myself going to the stadium, a familiar stadium. This time I had a ticket in hand and I was going through the security check and, 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 and showing the man that I had a ticket so I could be, so I could go into the stadium. And then I noticed myself waiting in lines because my kids wanted snacks. So I was in the snack stand waiting in line to buy hot dogs and Cokes and nachos and, and, and things like that. After that, I found myself loaded with a Diet Coke in hand and a, and a hot dog walking up the treacherous steps of the Coliseum. You know what I'm talking about. Those steps are pretty steep. I was thinking, what is this? And the next thing I find myself looking at, like, okay, at the tickets, like, where do I sit? Am I, I think we're in this row. Are we in this row over here? Come on, kids, we're over here. It felt weird. It felt weird because for 30 years or so, I was actually involved in the field. So I'm thinking, here I am as a spectator now. And I just kind of sat there and I thought, man, I'm way too relaxed. I'm distracted thinking about where to sit, sit and the, the, the guy gave me Diet Coke or regular Coke. And I'm thinking about those sort of things instead of the game. I'm completely, my mind was distracted everywhere. It was weird. It got really weird, especially as I looked to the field and I, I, looked, I see some familiar coaches and players and staff getting ready. I'm thinking to myself, what is this all about? I recognize these guys, and I recognize their look in the eye. They had, they're on a mission, and all of them were unified. All of them had the same mind, and everybody had a role, so they're trying to get it done. And I knew what they're thinking and feeling in that moment. It's like, all right, let's go. Let's do this. i got to do my part for my team. They need me. I know what they're thinking. Whether they're saying it or not, I knew exactly what was floating in their hearts and minds. It was time to let loose. You know, it was a way of life. It was really a way of life, a way of thinking. Then I looked into the stands. Another reason why I felt weird is like I start observing the fans. Many were distracted with their smartphones. They weren't even paying attention to the field. Many were preoccupied with their snacks. Where to even sit? They're coming late. You know, kickoff already started. They're kind of coming into the stadium still. And then I hear a lot of chatter around me. You know, many of them had opinions, and everyone's an expert all of a sudden. Or why they didn't do this? Why they did this? And everyone's a critic, right? And I just realized this. These people were here for a different purpose. They're here to be entertained. They wanted distraction from the everyday rigors of life. They wanted to be entertained. This was entertainment for the fans, and which is great. And why do I tell you this story? You know, it's more than just to let you know what was kind of going in my heart a couple years ago, but I want to ask this question to our church family here, and also online. I want to ask this question. On the Lord's day, the first day out of the week, the day that we recognize Christ resurrected from the grave, where do you see yourself? When I tell this story, which really happened, and these, this dialogue and this, all this process was going in my mind and my heart, on the Lord's Day, are you on the field, church family? Or are you in the stands? Are you on the field, 
Are you in the stands? Contemporary mindset will say, we're in the stands. I'm just, ta- I'm here taking it all in. I want to come and get fed. I want to get something out of this service. And certainly service should be edifying. They're absolutely right. Should be edifying. But it's more of a, on a passive side. I'm going to sit, kick back, relax, and taking it all in. And at the end of the service with my family and friends, I'm, I'm going to pass some judgment. I like the sermon. I didn't like the sermon. I got a lot out of the music. I didn't get out, much out of the music. Right? That, that's very contemporary. That's what's kind of the mindset of our day. But God's word, as Pastor Kenny read out of Psalm 100, verse 2, it says, come before him. Him, capital H, Him. Bible says this, we are all on the field. Every single Christian, every single brother and sister sitting in this sanctuary is on the field. And we all have a role. Now I get it, not everyone's going to be the pulpit chair. Not everyone's going to be leading the praise. Not everyone's going to be preaching. I understand that. But we all have a role. And we gather... For him, for God. This is about God. It's always been about God. And we look to please and honor him. So corporate worship is a all-hands-on-deck mentality. It's game day for all of us. Because we get to together, together, offer up praise to our Lord. It's about him. It's about him. And I want to ask this question as we, and Pastor Kenny kind of gave us some definition here. I'm just going to just make sure I take the time to explain some things before we get into the meat of the, uh, of, of the sermon. So this is a little bit longer introduction. What is worship? What is worship? I like what Pastor Kenny offered. I have something very similar. When we look to God's Word, Psalm chapter 29, verse says one and two says this give to the lord the glory do his name so in other words worship is or genuine not a fake one but a genuine response to who god is this is worship and this is why we're here he is worthy of our worship he is worthy of our worship Therefore, we give him our praise and our adoration. We sing praises to him. We tell him how great he is. And we also tell one another that as well. Therefore, within our hearts, we esteem him. Yes, you're the best. You are the greatest treasure of all, Lord. Nothing compares to knowing you, Lord. We esteem him. We have God esteem. And we come to the house of the Lord with gratitude. So grateful that we get to be part of God's family, right? In other words, worship is this it's our natural and appropriate response to who God is. So when we gather, this we're here to worship Him. This should be a natural thing. If the Spirit of God is living in you, this should be a natural thing, natural response. And there's different types of worship contexts, right? There's a way of life worship. First, uh, Corinthians 10.31 talks about then whether then you eat or drink, something as mundane as that. Do all to the glory of God. Or whatever you do. That means your work, your family life, driving, uh, going to school, whatever it may be, raising your children, 
We do it to the, to the glory of God. That's worship. That's just a, it's a way of life. It's a mindset. I'm going to worship God in everything I get to do, which could be private or it could be public. There's also private worship. This is where we recommend and exhort all of us to make sure we have our devotion time. We're spending time with the Lord privately in prayer and even sometimes singing in the shower or driving to work, right? This is private worship time. Certainly we should have a strong private worship life. And those of us who do this, family worship time is a time perhaps you gather your wife, your, your children, and you read through the scriptures. You sing worship songs as a family. That's special. Family worship time. Perhaps when you gain, join your branches and your life groups, you consider the small group worship time as a time to worship. It is. Amen. But today we're talking about corporate worship. What is corporate worship all about? This is what I want to lay down through the scriptures, a foundational teaching. Corporate worship is this. It's unique because the entire church family gathers together once a week on the Lord's Day. It's unique because the whole body of Christ here at Evergreen Church gathers together on the Lord's Day to worship God. Where This is where the vertical and the horizontal intersect, Right? Yes, we need to be focused on the Lord, but there's a horizontal aspect as we offer praise and worship to the Lord horizontally as an entire church family. This is unique. This is something you cannot do in your car by yourself, right? We understand this. This is not even something you could do with your, just your family, your immediate family. This isn't something you could do with a life group or a branch. This is every one of us. So everyone here we consider as being able to worship the Lord together with one another. This is unique time for we hear from God together. We pray to God together. Pastor Victor, Pastor uh, Kenny already led us in two prayers. This is where we're able to sing praises to God together. Thank you, Pastor Victor, for leading us. And where the Spirit ties it all together, right? And we're able to do this together. So as we get into the sermon here, we're going to answer this question. What is corporate worship all about and I'm going to give the four points ahead of time so we can follow along. If you follow along on, those, on your app or you're taking notes, this, this is good. I'm going to give you the four points ahead of time. What is corporate worship? Corporate worship is rooted in the word of Christ. Point number one. Corporate worship is rooted in discipleship of one another. One another. Corporate worship is rooted in congregational singing. That's a big part of worshiping God. Corporately. And fourthly, corporate worship is rooted in thankfulness to God. All right? So let's start here. And we're going to build on each point, just so you can kind of follow my train of thought here. We're going to follow, we're going to build on each point that comes up. So let's begin with where does corporate worship begin with? All right? Bible says in Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. How about that? Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. So point number one, corporate worship is rooted in the word of Christ. Point number one, corporate worship is rooted in the word of Christ. What is the word of Christ? What is Paul talking about here as he wrote this letter to the Colossian church? The word of Christ is simply put, it's the Bible. This is it here. This is the word of Christ right here. This is what we aim to preach. This is what we aim to sing and, and to minister to one another. The word of Christ is the scriptures. Now, more specifically... What are we learning about Christ through the scriptures? 
Does it encompass the gospel of Christ? Of course. What about the person of Christ? Absolutely. What about the teachings of Christ? Yes. How about the prophecies of Christ? Yes. In essence, we're trying to put on the mind of Christ as we learn the scriptures. So corporate worship is about having to be centered around God's word so that not just to gain wisdom, not just to become wiser people, not to do life more winsomely, is so that we know Christ better. This is why we gather. It's for him. And the Bible says, richly dwell, dwell meaning live within you. Richly, this word carries the meaning of being saturated, abundantly absorbed. This is what it means to be richly dwelt with the word. This is the goal. The illustration I have is this. I remember just being able to enjoy barbecuing a little bit. And the thought that came to my mind was marinated meat, right? You get a good piece of meat. You saturate it in all that goodness overnight, sometimes a couple days. And it's saturated. The meat is just gets saturated. It absorbs all the goodness. And as you pull it out of the refrigerator, you can have the aroma of it. And you throw it on the barbecue. You can smell it. And you just serve it, to, serve it up to your family and friends. You could taste it. That's what a life looks like when it's indwelt richly with the word of Christ. In essence, you are absolutely saturated by Christ, the word of Christ. That means that the word of Christ is in you deeply. And it dominates your thoughts. It controls your attitudes. It, whatever you say is often tied into the word of Christ. Even your actions. Like, wow. So when people are around you, You smell like Christ. You taste like Christ. So a life that is absolutely richly indwelt by the word of Christ, you look like that. You just can't help it. People can't help but get an aroma and flavor of Christ when you're around. And and, and Paul is calling Evergreen Church to be like this, not just individually, individually, but corporately. When we go out to the world, do people smell us and taste us in a good way, right? Colossians 1.28, this is like a guiding scripture for me. It says this, we proclaim him, proclaim Christ, we preach Christ, admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man, woman, child complete in Christ. This is the goal. Our goal is to sanctify the sheep here at Evergreen Ashby. This is called discipleship. We want everyone to be richly indwelt with the word of Christ. Ephesians 5.18 is a parallel passage if you want to study that some more. Ephesians 5.18 to 20. 5.18 says this, be filled with the Spirit. This is a very similar reality. A man or a woman or a child has, who's been filled up with the Spirit is just like someone who has the Word of Christ richly dwelling within us because you're controlled by Christ. It's obvious. A life controlled by the mind of Christ is someone who's filled with the Spirit. You're living as Christ would. This is the goal for the church family here at Evergreen. That everybody who considers Evergreen SUV their home, they, they will be filled richly with the word of Christ. Now regarding corporate worship, the word of Christ sets everything. Sets everything. Everything that we do, we should be able to back it up by what the word of God says. Brian Chapel, a pastor, author, theologian, says this, God is not only the chief audience of our worship, him, 
by his word and his spirit, he is also the true speaker, singer, and the person of praise. So this is the goal of the preachers to faithfully minister the word. It's not me that you want to hear about. You want to hear about the word of Christ. The singing, we want to make sure the word of Christ is very obvious in the singing. The prayer, it's very Christ-centered. So I'm going to give a few applications on this point and how this has shaped our corporate worship. And these aren't necessarily new things, but perhaps these are things that we want to emphasize. So corporate worship at Evergreen. How does this affect, how does the word of Christ affect the order of service? Well, the order of service, we want it to be obvious that the word of Christ is centered in everything that we do. So number one, we read God's word. You've seen Brother Eric, thank you, Brother Eric, read, come up here and read Colossians 1 for us. Scripture reading, we have men and women, young and old, reading. This is what we do, this is what we want to emphasize the word of God here. Number two, we preach God's word. We preach Christ specifically. We want to know that when you leave the service, you heard something about Christ. And it's, we do it in an expository fashion. What does that mean? We simp- our aim is simply to explain what the Holy Spirit-inspired author meant when he wrote it. What did Paul mean to say when he wrote Colossians 3.16? That is the word of Christ. That's what we were trying to get at, Okay. Simply to explain the meaning of the text. Number three, we sing God's word. This is, and the, the, the songs that we select are going to be pulpit driven. We want the, the songs to complement and reinforce what we're preaching and teaching about this Lord's Day. Obviously, they need to be biblically true. We can't be singing false things about God. These are true things about God that we're singing. Number four, we pray God's word. There are biblically prescribed types of prayers in the Bible. Pastor Victor, and if you notice, he offered up a prayer of praise. This is what we're asking our praise leaders to do, to praise God in the prayer. The pulpit chair, who happens to be Pastor Kenny this week, he was interceding for the church. He was praying for families, praying for the church, praying for the offering. He's pray, giving up prayers of intercession. After the sermon, I'll be giving up, giving a prayer of response. So how we should respond to what was preached. And then as Pastor Dan comes up here to lead us in communion, this is communion Sunday as well, he'll lead, lead us in a prayer of confession and repentance. Okay, so we're trying to order everything according to scriptures and also make an emphasis to us how to do these prayers as well, right? We want to model this. And fifthly, see God's word. We want you to be able to see God's word in effect. So we have, we, we're observing the ordinance of communion. We baptize the, 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 the brotherhood and sisterhood during corporate worship. We want everyone to be able to see God's word obeyed and lived out. Okay? So these are some intentional, deliberate things that we've done to make sure that we're true to the fact that corporate worship starts with the word of Christ. Right, let's go to our second point. Corporate worship begins with the word of Christ, but how does the word of Christ richly dwell within us through corporate worship? How is this happening? The Bible says, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. That's how it happens, teaching and admonishing. So point number two, corporate worship is rooted in discipleship of one another. When you come here, on the Lord's Day for corporate worship, we need to know we're all in the game. Everybody has a role. Every single one of us has a role, and I'm thinking, I'm coming here 
for my, for my brother or sister. Because, not to be so egocentric about it, because it's not going to be quite the same if I don't come. Something's going to be missing. It's more of an outward thinking process. I need to be there for my teammates. I need to be there for my church family. This is what this is talking about. The one another's. The one another's here. And teaching and admonishing, I believe they're two sides of the same coin. Teaching and admonishing. Here's teaching, here's admonishing. Same coin, two different sides. Both of them are meant for instruction. Teaching, you instruct in the positive. You tell people in the positive what what to do. Admonishment is teaching or instructing on the negative. It's like a warning. It's more of a corrective thing. It's to kind of like influence the, the conscience, you know, and, and, uh, and to instruct in a negative way. But both of them are still discipleship tools. We want to teach and admonish one another. Not just the pastor, not just the pulpit chair. Man, it's just the, the one another's. Whenever you see the one another's, it's talking about the church. All right, this talk is, Paul's talking about the Colossian church in Colossae. He's talking to Evergreen Church today. Mo, both are meant to, to further along discipleship. Matthew 28, the Great Commission, go and make disciples. Go. It describes how we should do it. As you're going through life, look to make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptizing and then teaching them. Teaching to observe all that I commanded you. So how do we disciple? Go as you live your life. Disciple and teaching. So teaching is definitely a part of discipleship. And I just want to share my heart a little bit. During this COVID-19 season, I got to share with you, the Lord has given me a seminary on the value of the one another's. I always liked the Lord's Day. I always appreciated the gathering of the saints. I mean, just this view right now, I wish you could see what I could see. It's phenomenal. I'm so excited. It's encouraging. It fills me up, I'll be honest with you. But having over a year where we're not able to come together like we normally have for decades, the Lord taught me to lift up the one another's on the Lord's Day. Because this is corporate worship time. This is where family time. We need to elevate the one another's. And I've learned so much how the essential nature of the one another's we don't want to be apart. <laughs> we don't want to be apart. There could be a season of that, but we don't want that to be a normal routine now. We want to be together. The Lord calls us to be together. And in that sense, I really want to emphasize through our corporate worship, certainly the vertical, certainly the vertical, but the horizontal nature of this. This is very important that we learn how to do this as we're growing discipleship and fellowship with one another. So I'm going to give an application of how the one another's emphasis has impacted how we do corporate worship. I want to be able to be intentional, intentionally be able to communicate these things so you can observe some of these things. So the emphasis on the one another's at Evergreen SGV is that, number one, emphasis to gather in person. All right? Hebrews 10, 24, 25 commands the brotherhood and sisterhood to gather together. It's not an option. This is not just an extrovert thing. I'm an introvert too, by the way, but this is not a preferential thing. This is God calls us to gather, gather. So we've made a big emphasis on gathering. We'll continue to do live stream, right? And I get it. That could enable people from coming here. However, as a church leadership, we want to care for those who legitimately need to be home. 
We understand that there's some unique, special health considerations that people need to make. I get that. That's why we want to care. That, that's really the main heart of why we're continuing on with the live stream. We want to care for our people. Number two, see one another. Now, brothers and sisters, take a moment here to kind of observe the layout here. What do you notice that's a little bit different coming back in after a year? Do you notice that the seats are a little bit curved? That was very intentional because we, our staff, our leadership wants us to be able to see each other, whether through the corner of our eyes or as I turn my head, it's a little bit easier to see your brother or sister. Have you noticed that the windows are opened? Right? Are you going to clap? <laughs> the lights are back to normal. It's just because we want to emphasize the ability to see one another. We only come together once a week, brothers and sisters, in this way. We need to be able to see one another. And I encourage you to look around as, as the service is going on. I encourage you as you're singing to look around. I encourage you as you, we take communion together to look around. Who's taking communion with us? This is important to see one another. Also to feel one another. This is the relational emphasis. We want to be able to feel each other. We want to be a welcoming community. We're making a huge emphasis with our ushers. Thank you, brothers, and our welcoming team and our welcoming table. Thank you, everybody, for making this. Now, it's not just the the ushers and the, the welcoming committee. It needs to be all of us in our aisles as we talk to one another. My brother, Pastor Mako, said this, that this word of hospitality is rooted in this idea of welcoming a stranger. Now, we may have seen each other, but we kind of don't know each other. Take time. Take the initiative. Say, hey, how you doing? Youth, if you see someone kind of in the outer circles, bring the circle to them. Be intentional about being welcoming. This is important. It's going to be obvious how we do our fellowship time. We, got, we, got, we set up our fellowship time. Pastor Paul is in charge of that with the lunch truck. I'm curious to see how we're going to be able to intermix with one another, to talk to each other as waiting in the food line as we're eating together. This is all intentional. We want to be welcoming. We want to increase in our fellowship with one another. Let's feel one another. This is important. Not just to see, but to feel one another. All right? Fourthly, we want to hear one another. What does that mean? That means that we hear testimonies, right? Discipleship Sunday, we want to hear testimony of what the Lord's been doing in our lives so that we understand each other's stories. We also want to hear each other as we sing. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in the next point, but hearing each other as we sing is critical. And as Pastor Dan comes up here at this end of the service, we need to be able to take communion with one another. That's why when we take communion, when I ask you to grab the elements and get back to your seats and prepare your hearts to receive communion, and we're going to take it together. We're going to take communion together. Look around. Who is with the Lord? Who is with us? That's very important that we do this, okay? Because we come to the Lord's table on common ground. We're all the same at that level. We all need the blood of Christ we all need the life of Christ, okay? So these are some intentional things from the, how we try to emphasize the one another's during corporate worship, okay? Hopefully you can follow along easily. Let's go to the third point. Now that we understand there's a mutual commitment to one another to disciple through corporate worship, 
how do we all teach it and admonish one another through corporate worship? How does this actually happen? Well, the Bible says out of Colossians 3.16, notice we're going phrase by phrase, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So corporate worship is rooted in congregational singing. This is where congregational singing is a huge aspect of corporate worship. Now, commentators kind of struggle over like how do we discern what psalms, hymns, and spiritual song mean. But I think there's some obvious things that will be safe to kind of interpret some of these words. Psalms, if it hearkens the Old Testament psalms, I think you're in a good place. Okay, so we should be singing songs that God wrote that are recorded in the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is the biggest book in the Bible. And it's a song book. Did you know that? Every psalm is a song. This is very important. Hymns, hymnos. What is hymnos? The Greek usage of hymnos were, were songs dedicated to their gods, capital, uh, lowercase g, gods, lowercase g, gods. But Paul's usage, these are songs dedicated to Christ, Christ-centered music, hymns, all right? And spiritual songs, these are spirit-led songs, spirit-led songs. So sometimes our worship leader, our praise leader, may make a few audibles from time to time. He may ask us to, let's sing that verse again. Let's sing that chorus again. Let's repeat that song that we sang at the beginning of the service again. It may not go exactly as planned. And Paul understood that a very important thing, which I'm learning from. Paul's a preacher. Paul's a preacher. Next to Christ, maybe the greatest preacher that ever walked the earth. But Paul understood that singing is the preacher's best friend. The preacher's best friend. Like Brother Eric, what he read out of uh, Colossians 1, 15 to 20, you know what that is? That's a hymn. It's a hymn. I'm going to read it for us, but it's a hymn. Paul inserts a hymn into this letter to the Colossian church. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Who is he talking about? For by him, all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. Who's him? He is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself, a lot of he's and him's, will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself. Having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him I say whether things on earth or things in heaven, him, is clearly talking about Christ. I mean, it's a distinctly Christian hymn, a Christian song. You cannot go walk away from that song thinking, who is he talking about, right? We know clearly this is a Christ-centered hymn. So Paul understood that. Even in his letter, he's trying to teach fundamental word of Christ to the Colossians through song. I think it'll go well for us preachers to follow this model here. So congregational singing is this. This is how you teach and admonish one another. Congregational singing, participating by all the brotherhood and sisterhood here present, 
It's like preaching set to music. You're preaching to one another. We're preaching to one another by singing. It's very important that we understand this. We teach and admonish one another through singing. Now, congregational singing teaches, I mean, think about it, how every culture that you could think of uses music and rhyme to teach the ABCs, even the one, two, threes, right? I mean, this is just very fundamental on how we teach. Cultures understand this. This is not even a distinctly Christian thing. However, singing as worship, words that we understand is a very distinctly Christian activity that God has prescribed us to do. It may be difficult to remember words in this sermon, right? Like, man, what did he say? I don't know, but I remember that song. You might be humming or singing a song in the shower tonight, but you might not remember much of the sermon, but you remember certain songs that we sung today. How does congregational admonish? Well, admonishment has an emotional aspect. This isn't like, well, this is what I warn you to do. This is like, don't run across the street. You might get killed, right? There's the emotional side of this where singing actually accesses our emotions. It puts emotion to the words. That's what music does. And in in essence, brand sizzles the word of Christ into and onto our hearts, right? This is what singing does. And so there's mutual accountability. This is everyone's role here during congregational worship. It's congregational singing, corporate worship. Your, your role is to sing, to sing, to preach to one another. And here are some obstacles perhaps that's maybe floating in your mind. These are some of the things I've heard but that I want to just bring up. I don't like to sing, Pastor. I don't sing well. Pastor, I don't like the style of music. We're Asian American. We don't sing very much. (laughs) No, this is the wrong mindset, obviously, right? This is the wrong mindset. This is not, that's more spectator mindset. This is not team mindset. This is not family mindset. This is not worship mindset. Just remember this phrase. It's not about me. It's about Christ and his body. It's about Christ and his body, the vertical and the horizontal. It's, it's, when you sing, you're, you're singing to Christ and, and for one another, to teach and admonish one another. Through singing, we get to edify the saints and even evangelize the lost that are sitting in our midst. Let me explain. We just sang before the throne of God above. Okay, Perhaps you're sitting by somebody your neighbor is hurting right now. It's been a difficult year. Health challenges, financial challenges, relational challenges. Maybe they're, you're terrified as you're sitting right here, but by faith you want to be here. So praise God that you're here. We understand that. But by your singing, look what you've been singing into their ears and preaching to them before the throne of God above. I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love. Whoever lives and pleads for me. You're singing that Jesus Christ, God himself, is interceding for you right now. Is that not comforting? Is that not powerful? Perhaps your neighbor is struggling in sin right now. And wondering, can I really be saved? Do do Christians keep sinning in this way? I feel bad. I keep repenting, but I keep sinning. And they're questioning faith. 
at her salvation. Well, the second verse is when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within. Upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin because the sinless Savior died. My sinful, sinful soul is counted free. You need to hear that. I need to hear that. I need to be reminded of this. Or to Christ is look to Christ. Look to him. It's not about us. It's about him. And know this also, brothers and sisters. Friends, my unbelieving friends that are here. You're, we're so glad that you're here. We're so glad that you're here. Later on, we're going to sing a song called Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. And perhaps, my friend, you're an unbeliever. You know you're not saved. You, you're thinking to yourself, I know I'm a sinner. I know how I act. I know what's going on in my thought life and private life. How can someone like me be saved? Well, we're going to preach to one another after taking communion. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is what we're going to be singing and preaching to one another. They will remember. These words will be seared into their minds. So, brothers and sisters, you have a commitment here to sing. Sing loud. And here's some application, how we've intentionally applied this to evergreen corporate worship. Emphasis on congregational singing. Number one, the praise leader, the worship leader's style is this. His mindset is going to be this. He's the choir director. He's the choir director. The church family is the choir. So his mindset is this. When he comes up, how can I inspire and lead the people to sing? And I'm going to read this uh, quote by Matt Merker in his book called Corporate Worship. He writes, this means that singing is part of each member's ministry to the whole body. When you join a church, you join the choir. All right, you see that? When you join a church, you join the choir. All of us make up the choir. You become a steward for the spiritual vitality of the body, a stewardship you fulfill in part by opening your mouth in song. And as I talked about it, the praise leader will, will be spirit-led. Let's be adjustable. Let's, let's go with them. Let, let's have an interplay with them. Let's follow along. If he asks us to sing another verse, another, another chorus, let's go along with it. If he says, hey, let's sing the song that we did earlier, let's go with it. Be adjustable. This is about just leading us as the Spirit leads this man. Number two, song selection. How do we select songs? Well, we talked about it earlier. It would be pulpit-driven. We want the songs to really drive home the word that we preach today. All right? We want to enhance the preaching. We want familiar songs. What does that mean? We want to be committed, especially right now, to establish our own evergreen tradition. We want to develop, these are the songs that we sing. Look what John Wesley wrote. <laughs> I'm going to the best for advice. John Wesley, the great hymn writer, suggested in how to cultivate uh, congregational singing. Number one, learn these tunes before you learn any others. Afterwards, learn as many as you please. So learn, establish the foundational culture of our church. These are the songs that we sing. We want to get familiar with these songs. And then singability is suited for congregational singing. Some songs are meant for concerts. Some songs are meant for the radio, the Christian radio. 
some songs are geared towards all of us normal people who could sing and keep a certain pace with a certain melody. Right? So songs suited for congregational singing. Number three, music style. Like what kind of style of music are we going to see up here? Well, the style to fit our goal. What is the goal of uh, congregational singing? What do you think the goal of congregational singing is? It's to hear one another sing, all right, plainly put. We want to hear each other. We want to encourage and teach and admonish each other. So whatever that gets done, we want to do that. So for now, to establish that fundamental of singing, we're lowering the impact of the platform here. I hope you could tell that already. That was very intentional. We want to be able to lower the impact on the platform to exhort the choir to sing. This is very important. All this is very intentional. And as we start to establish more singing in our congregation, then we could add some things. But we need to establish the fundamentals. Here's the final more uh, tips from John Wesley. Number one, all sing. See that you join the congregation as frequently as you can. Let not a slight degree of weakness or weariness hinder you. Maybe you're tired showing up, you know, getting out of bed. No, let's come, John Wesley said. If it is a cross to you, come, I'll take it up, and you will find a blessing. Let's sing, even if you don't feel like it. Maybe you're in a hard place. Let's sing. This is your offering to the Lord and your commitment to the brotherhood, sisterhood here. Another point, it's kind of funny how you wrote it, but sing lustily. <laughs> that means heartily, rigor- vigorously, right? And with good courage, beware of singing as if you're half dead or half asleep. (laughs) This is John Wesley. But lift up your voice with strength. Be no more afraid of your voice now, nor more ashamed of its being heard than when you sang the songs of Satan. Meaning, we sing secular songs. We know we know how to put it out in the car now. How much more for Christ congregationally? Okay? So we want, we're looking for enthusiasm. We're looking for joyfulness as we swing, sing to the Lord. Let loose for God. Let it go. Don't worry about what people think. So de- to develop a strong singing culture, let's know that it's tied to teaching and admonishing one another. There's a purpose behind it as well for the one another's. Obviously, it's worship to, to him, the vertical, but it affects the horizontal. All right, let's finish up with our final point here. Congregational singing teaches and admonishes one another during corporate worship. Now, what's the heart that drives congregational singing during corporate worship? What is the heart? The Bible says, here's the next phrase, singing with thankfulness in your heart to God. That's what it says, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Corporate worship is rooted in in thankfulness to God. Fill in the blank, that's it. Now, studying this word thankfulness is very important. In the original language, this is one of the benefits of studying and and getting deeper into the original language. The original language is charis, 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 which means grace. So the translators translated grace into thankfulness because in the context, when we understand the grace of God, how can we not be thankful to God, right? Right? We have to understand the grace of God. Therefore, we're thankful. The more we understand God's incredible grace, amazing grace, the greater the level of thankfulness in our hearts. I'm going to read Colossians 3.12. 
I started off the reading from verse 12. It says this, Colossians 3.12 says this. So, Paul writes, as those who have been chosen of God, God handpicked you and me. Whoever is in the faith, God handpicked you and me. This is very personal. This is very intentional by God. Everything he does is intentional. He elected us. He chose us to be holy and beloved. We're holy. We're set apart. Similar to God, God sees us as holy, sinless, and we're beloved. This is amazing grace. What else do you need to know? That we're holy like his son, and we, we're loved with the same type of love as Jesus prays that the Father has for the Son. Isn't that ridiculous? That's grace. That's amazing grace. And if you know your own heart, like I know my own heart, I know I don't deserve this. My own family knows I don't deserve this, let alone. But I know this. And as you're sitting here, I think you know this too. None of us deserve this. That's grace. Grace meaning we get what we don't deserve. We get a blessing that we don't deserve above and beyond. Right? In God's grace, the word of Christ can be distilled to one thing, the gospel message, right? So as we exhort one another, as the pulpit is exhorting us to sing, I think that's very clear that we're all part of this. We're all on the field. Remember this. Don't worry about having a good voice. I don't have a good voice either, okay? Don't worry about having a good voice. Focus in on having a good song in your heart. That you understand the grace of God. So therefore you give thankfulness. You're thankful to the Lord. And you can't help but sing. This is about the heart. Don't worry about having a good voice. Worry. Focus on having a good song. The good news. The gospel message. I want to just finish off here with uh, Colossians 1, 19-20. The end of Paul's hymn that he includes in, in, in Colossians. Paul writes, or he records a hymn. Either he wrote it or he copied somebody. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness, fullness of deity to dwell in him. What is it saying? Jesus Christ is the God-man. He is fully God and fully man. He came to earth, perfect and sinless. The eternal being took on human flesh. This is part of the gospel message. God, who we sang before the throne of God above, stepped off that throne to come to earth Fully God and fully man. Limited some of his divine privileges to put on human flesh. That's what this is saying. For it was a father's good pleasure. It was his plan, God's plan, to send Jesus Christ, the God-man, to earth. And through him, Jesus Christ, the God-man, to reconcile all things to himself. To reconcile sinners, lost sinners like you and me, from being enemies of God to being friends, sons and daughters of God. Through Christ. This is that song that Paul has for us in Colossians. This is a song that we're going to be singing here in a moment. Having made peace through the blood of his cross. How do we have, how do we have peace with God? If you're a non-believer here right now, hear these words. It cost everything to have peace with God. God himself had to die on the cross so that 
He could treat you and me like sons and daughters. He made him who knew no sin. He was the perfect one. Hear me now, church. To be sin, he treated him like the worst of sinners. So that we might become the righteousness of God in him, in Christ. We might be seen as righteous, as a sinless one, Christ himself. That's how this happened. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. This is amazing grace. The gospel says this. Us sinners, we can be at peace with God because of what Christ Jesus has done. He died on the cross. Three days later, rose again. And the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that means he is my God, my Lord, my King, the one I follow, the one I want to become like, discipleship, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that he's alive, that he died for your sins and alive, you will be saved. Brothers and sisters, if you believe this, be encouraged and sing your heart out here in a moment here. And take communion in a worthy manner here in a moment. Friends, if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, perhaps you've been coming here for years even. This is the day. This is the day where you get to say, yes, Lord, I'm with you. And evidently, and obviously, you are with me because you died for me. Church family, let's prepare now to take communion Pastor Dan is going to come up here after I get done praying. But I'm going to pray a prayer of response here to what we, what we uh, preach today. Let's have a good song in our hearts. As we take communion, as an act of worship, and sing our brains out, our hearts out, as we get to sing and teach and admonish one another in a few moments. Let this be a landmark moment at Evergreen Church, where you go, wow! I didn't know we could sing like that. All right? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for this amazing grace that you've given us. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Help us to see more clearly, Lord, how amazing this grace is. Help us to understand more Forgive us, Lord, because we are at times forgetful. Forgive us, Lord. Help us to see this amazing grace so that we will be so thankful to you in our hearts. Father, will you allow the word of Christ to richly dwell within us? Evergreen church, your church, your people, Lord, so that we could smell and taste like your son to a dying world and to one another. Father, will you produce a fruit of incredible congregational singing? I pray, Lord, that this will be an immediate part of our culture of our church, Lord. And I pray this will be pleasing to you, so pleasing to you, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that this will teach and admonish one another. From young and old, Lord, we will be singing our hearts out to you, and for the sake of the brotherhood and sisterhood. Thank you for Colossians 3.16. Thank you, Lord, as you say, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Thank you, Lord. 
In Jesus' name, amen.